Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder, joined alongside reporter Jacob Rudner. How are you doing today, Jacob? I'm good, Ethan. It's uh, first time on the podcast with you in charge of it, which is uh, always exciting. It's fun to have new interns and a, a change of the group around here. We're having a good time and, you know, always good to be back with uh, with football going on. So so couldn't be better, really. We're also joined with reporter Trevor Booth. How are you doing today? Yes, sir, Ethan. Good to see you. I'm with Chris and Jacob. Guys, it's been the first time we've done a podcast together probably in over a year where we've done it in person. And Ethan and Carson, I'm excited to get you guys going and best of luck as you get going with Soros. I'm really excited to follow your journey too. Yes, sir. And the new man on the podcast, Carson Breber. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you, Ethan. Excited to get to it. It's been a fun couple weeks at camp and ready to talk about some of the stuff we've seen. And of course, joined by publisher Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just continuing my mission to make sure everybody hates me. <laughs> and uh, also want to welcome Carson. Uh, we already, uh, you and I have recorded podcasts previously, Ethan, but Carson is new and uh, he's extremely experienced in the podcast game. <laughs> so there are very high expectations uh, as a result of that. We'll see if he's able to deliver up to his reputation. Yeah, a lot on the line here for me personally, so <laughs> ready to get to it. Prove my mettle. Well, then let's get right to it. So this is, we just finished up the second week of watching and covering ASU's uh, preseason camp, and the headline news coming out of it was we learned earlier today that Jermaine Lolay injured his right triceps in Monday's practice. Uh, he has been wearing a brace since that time. He will have surgery on Tuesday, and it's expected that he will miss at least three months, which is threatening to the entirety of his regular season. So he's out injured. What does that affect for the team uh, in terms of who might have to step in and just what it affects and how well they can play? Yeah, Ethan, one of the conversations that Robert Rodriguez constantly brings up is just how underappreciated Jermaine Lole is as a player. And we see him do what he does, and he, you know he is right with everything that he does. Last year, he was the top-graded interior defensive lineman in the Pac-12 and just really consistent. And we've seen it even throughout these practices that he was able to do, that he was just consistent in his reps. So that stable force is something that ASU is definitely going to miss. Um, we'll talk about guys that who could potentially um, replace him in this podcast, but that's definitely a big hole to fill, even if you have a guy, a talented guy like Omar Norman Lott behind him. Yeah, and you know, you know, it's a it's an unfortunate thing for for Jermaine Lole because he's been through a whole lot this year. He he lost his father and his brother uh, to COVID nineteen early on in the year, and now to suffer an injury that really does jeopardize the entirety of his of his junior season, which was, you know, he's a guy who was considered to have very strong NFL draft potential and to not be able to play this year potentially is a huge blow for that. So this is an all-conference guy who's been through a lot already this year. It's a, it's a big blow for him personally, obviously, especially with everything he's been through and then for the team. What I will say, though, is in spite of all that, and absolutely, Jermaine was one of the most productive defensive tackles in football last year and a Pac-12, an all-Pac-12 honoree, and obviously that's difficult value to replace. But one of the things that this defensive line group has had tremendous confidence in is their depth. Michael Matu said last week that you want to get to the place where you feel like you can put a three in there on Amiri Johnson and Omar Norman Lott, guys who play with a third team and feel as good about them as you would or nearly as good as you would with a starter. And I know that Norman Lott said just yesterday he felt like they were basically at that point that the threes had gone out there and done some really good work. And I do think that there are options. Again, obviously, no one with the combination of experience and production and athletic tools of Lole. But Shannon Foreman is a guy who's 
going into his fifth year with the program and has seen action in 38 different games, started a majority of the season as a sophomore, as a defensive end. And then you have Norman Lott, who I think has been one of the standouts of camp, a really explosive athlete, a former four-star prospect. So obviously, it's not an easy loss to recover from. It's not going to be easy to supplement that production, but there are options elsewhere at D-Tackle. Yeah, and I just we're not going to sugarcoat this, right? The Lole is one of the best defensive tackles returning in the Pac-12. You're not going to replace him with any one individual, probably not even in the collective. Um, I think especially what he brought against the run and with understanding the players around him and making sure that everybody was all in sync and in a rhythm on a play-by-play or preparing for opponents type of a basis is not going to be there. Now, that said, Shannon Foreman is one of the most experienced guys on the team, and he will be at least a solid cog-type player for them. And we have seen, to Carson's point and what other people are saying, um, Omar Norman Lott looks like a future star player. In one-on-ones in practice, he has regularly, quite easily beaten one of ASU's starting offensive linemen, left guard Ladarius Henderson. And Henderson himself has some some issues, but I think the point here is there's very few guys who have had the dynamic uh, potential that Norman Lott provides. He's lost 20 or more pounds since he got to ASU now down to around 280. He's leaner. He's more explosive. He's really quick. Uh, he has natural pass rush instincts and moves. He's violent with his hands. There's a lot that he brings to the fold that even, dare I say, Jermaine Lole doesn't quite have in certain ways. Uh, now, he's not as polished or as developed. He doesn't have the same understanding of the game and all these things are going to be limiting. The most uh, interesting thing that I'm going to be watching is really how he does against the run because even Norman Lott talked to us about uh, how good that Lole is at sitting into double teams, at being able to make sure that you're not getting knocked off the line of scrimmage. Uh, and that that prevents an offense from being able to do what it wants to with its inside run or stretch zone, et cetera. So there are going to be some challenges. Uh, you're not going to get the same overall production, but I think if they manage it, well, they can get pretty good play from their three technique tackle. And the fortunate thing for ASU is they have very good players elsewhere all around. So it's not like you're taking one weakness and, and next to other weaknesses. And now all of a sudden you have this really big thing. It's more like one area that went from a huge strength to maybe an average uh, level of play that you still will have some very good flashes at with these young players. And Norman Lott to me, uh, it, just to put this into a context, he might have the most potential that we've seen among ASU defensive linemen since two-time All-Pac 10, 12 player of the year, Will Sutton. He's that type of a guy in terms of his ability to exploit an interior gap as a pass rusher and what he brings to the fold. I think he, everything about him really screams at me that he's going to be a superstar type of a guy if he stays on the trajectory that is possible for him. Yeah, and, and whether it's Omar Norman Lott or not, that's going to be big shoes to fill. But regardless of that, all throughout camp so far, ASU's defense has been dominant. I mean, there's been the offense has had little to no success at the beginning of the camp. They've gotten better. But in terms of the defense wise, what really has stood out to you guys from that defensive side that is most important and why they've been so dominant? Well, I think that actually the front does kind of stand out because I think that the experience and the talent of the linebacking core in the secondary has been heralded and was really even headed into last season, whereas last year the defensive line was maybe 
a bit more of a question and then they had a super productive year were among the top of the Pac-12 as far as pressures and had an effective pass rush, but they have been consistently impressive throughout the practice that we've seen thus far and it hasn't just been the starters it's been the guys like Omar Norman Lott Trevez Moore newcomer from LSU has had some really outstanding moments opened up practice with a couple of multiple sack days mixed in with the first teamers and just you see his speed off the edge really stands out and so I think that that's been a really interesting group and an impressive group and again you expect the dominance from the second and third levels of this defense but the front has been not far behind them or on that same level, I would say. Yeah, good points from Carson about the front. I, I would just look at the secondary, and I don't have the perspective that Chris would on this, but just in the years I've covered ASU, this has just been shut down, right? And this is what we've expected out of guys like Jack, um, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones, DeAndre Pierce, Evan Fields, who have been here multiple years and are now 22, 23 years old, where the pressure is on them to be like, hey, every rep has to be consistent. That's something that Antonio Pierce said to Chris in the spring is that he's going to demand perfection out of them. And DeAndre Pierce uh, said yesterday in camp, we're recording this on Friday, on Thursday, that the defense is expecting to get 30 takeaways this year. So that's obviously something we'll see if they can do. I remember they set the takeaway or the takeaway goal for 20 interceptions a few years ago. Um, but this, this back end of the defense is certainly elite, and they're very confident in the guys behind them too, with Cam Phillips, who was a former starter, um, and then Kiwan Markham coming in too, started a lot of games his freshman year. Um, so a lot of depth to rely on, and again, just a lot of experience, and we'll see how that plays out. It's going to work in their favor if they maximize it. Yeah, I'm highly confident um, that this is the as good an, an ASU defense, potential-wise, as any this century. you got to go back a long time to find uh, this amount of experience, talent, athleticism across the board. Uh, the secondary, to me, is the, the, the true standout flagship unit. Um, you should get two or three players uh, achieving all league status. Uh, I think it'll be one of the best secondaries in the Pac-12, if not in the country. The defensive line with what Robert Rodriguez has done in the last year uh, at generating a lot of pressure and the, the technical development of a lot of the players has been quite something to behold with Matus and Tyler Johnson and DJ Davidson and, of course, Lole that to my mind, others will be able to step up and play um, extremely well, you know, who maybe haven't already made a big impact on the field in their previous time. Carson mentioned Trevez Moore. I mean, he's been really quite uh, something and the, the progress from the spring until now. And to me, ASU's linebackers are the most important group in terms of can they achieve to their potential this season? You look at Merlin Roberts and Darian Butler, they're four-year starters, and neither one of them is a honorable mention, all-pack 12 player in the preseason by the media, never mind first or second team. And they should have a chip on their shoulder, and they need to understand that they have to elevate themselves in order to accomplish what they're trying to do uh, collectively as a defense and more broadly, and also to help give themselves the best opportunity to get drafted and uh, make a lot of money playing the game professionally. I think Butler has gotten leaner. He looks quicker and more explosive. He's been more dynamic as a pass rusher. Uh, Merlin Robertson looks like he's very engaged. Kyle Soley is, uh, you know, physically now one of the more impressive guys on their defense and he always was one of the smarter guys Antonio Pierce uh, ASU's defensive coordinator has called him a pointer someone who kind of knows ahead of time what's coming let's let's you know really highlight the fact that how the linebackers do 
in zone coverage and against the pass and on passing down situations is one of the really big keys uh, to what how ASU will do overall this season. The secondary has given up with the first team almost no uh, plays of beyond 15 yards. There may be one or two that we've seen, but other than that, it's been totally shut down. Pass rush is going to be there. Uh, I do want to see that there's going to be run-stopping uh, capability that is persistently good across whoever the, the opponents are going to be. That wasn't always the case last year. Um, but I think part of that is the linebackers um, in addition to what they what they do at the point of attack. Yeah, and with that defense being so strong comes the flip side in the offense who have looked a little shaky so far in camp. They've picked it up a little bit uh, come the second week, but with that defense being so good, maybe it's one of the best defenses they'll even see all season. That's something that's been kind of tossed around uh, during camp, but what do you guys see from this offense in, in, in this first couple weeks? Yeah, I think I think one thing that really stood out early was just the struggles of the offensive line. I think that part of that was a little bit to be expected just with having a transition of, of you know, you're working with a new coach and obviously some of these guys – the majority of them actually got to work with Mike Cavanaugh in the spring, but even still to have a transition where you're working with somebody new, it presents challenges for an offensive line and just, you know, learning certain parts of the scheme that that person might introduce. Uh, that being said, that there were a lot of reps that they should be winning at this point, especially with the offensive line returning four or five starters from last year, and that created a lot of problems. Another thing related to the offensive line that I think, you know, we've, it's been mentioned on, our, on the website several times now is the snapping issues with Donovan West. He is an obviously an, an all Pac-12 caliber guard, or was a Pac-12 caliber guard, is a first-team all-Pac-12 uh, preseason member as a center. Uh, the snapping has been really bad. It's it's consistently low into the right. Uh, Jaden Daniels several times, high into the right, excuse me. Jaden Daniels has had several, you know, miscues on those snaps where he wasn't able to field the ball at all. And, and that creates disruptions with the rhythm. So those are things, in my opinion, to watch that have led to a lot of other of the offensive struggles. But I'll let you know you guys talk about the uh, the other things beyond the offensive line. Well, just to add to that point from Jacob, I think that that's part of where we've seen the defensive line have so much success. There was a stretch in, I believe it was Wednesday's practice, where the defensive line and the offensive line were going through one-on-ones. And this was right after the O-line actually got some praise from Zach Hill for doing well in a team period. And the D-linemen were winning 85-90% of the reps. And it wasn't newcomers on O-line, on the O-line who were getting torched over and over again. It was guys who have been there before. And also, just to the point about making the adjustment with Kavanaugh, I know that he's still getting on them in practice for just being aware of their assignments, telling them their stuff that they should know already. So definitely a work in progress there. But on the flip side of that, I think that the outstanding part of the offense has certainly been the guys who they're blocking for in that backfield with Rashad White, Dumonte Trainum, and Daniel Nagata, I think, is a guy who stood out because even though he's not getting those first-team reps as frequently as White and Trainum, and those were the guys who were uber productive last year. Rashad White averages 10 yards a carry, leads the team in receiving as well. Chip Trainum's up there at like six yards a carry too. Nagata was the most highly regarded prospect of the bunch. Physically, he developed in the offseason training program really as all of those guys did. And I think that now that he's just out there healthy, which wasn't the case for him for all of last season, he has definitely impressed and has shown that he will make that a real three-headed monster and not just this dynamic duo. So... The offense is usually behind the defense, especially when it's a really great defense at the outset of camp. So that's not really all that surprising. Uh, the issues that Jacob mentioned with the timing and the rhythm of the snapping, I think, has played a role. I, I also would say just Jaden Daniels has not been particularly sharp, especially in the first week of the preseason. Um, so 
it, it's 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 a few things that are all sort of coming together. This how good the defense is. The defensive line at the point of attack has been really uh, imposing. Um, the the secondary has been great, and it makes it that makes it really hard to get into any kind of a passing rhythm. They've been going ones versus ones in the first two weeks. I heard that they are planning on going more ones versus twos, which I think will enable them to probably get into a little bit better of an offensive rhythm with the first team. Uh, you know, again, the the receiving core, despite being extremely talented, remains really young and inexperienced. And then they're going up against guys who have been starting at this level successfully for a long time and so that disrupts their ability to get into their routes and get to where they're supposed to be on a lot of these plays because success very often tends to happen in the first half second at the line of scrimmage and so when Jaden Daniels is is under duress because the guys are bearing down on him there's been a tendency in his career in previous seasons especially as a freshman to feel like he had to vacate the pocket remember there was Ladarius Henderson starting as a left tackle at 17 years old on the road at Michigan State that creates this sort of a okay I got to make things happen with my feet thing as opposed to you know really sitting in the pocket stepping up waiting for route development making sure that you're going to try to make passes happen if you don't have a hundred percent confidence that those things are going to develop it's a difficult situation for Daniels uh, I do think that he's been improved in the last week with his accuracy and the timing and the way that some of these uh, receivers are uh, executing uh, there was a one practice that we didn't even see it was close to media but Johnny Wilson apparently had three touchdown catches as, and was making plays I think Ricky Pearsall is probably going to be a solid re reliable uh, option as is LV Bunkley Shelton at what those guys do uh, Wilson will probably be a lot of hit or miss I think you're going to get some big plays and then some opportunities where you go oh man he probably should have made that play um, they have some other guys that can take the top off the defense Brian Thompson uh, Andre Johnson uh, even even uh, uh, Jordan Porter, if they can get those guys to keep defenses honest on the back end so that their offensive run game can build into what we saw last year in a continuation and provide that balance. And given how good that their secondary and their overall defense should be this year, they're, they're going to not be blown out by anybody. I really don't see that happening. I think they have the, the potential to maybe score more points from Edwards and Zach. have talked about opening it up more, uh, even maybe being 55% pass in a perfect world. We're going to have to see if they're able to get to that point. But my sort of hunch is the defense and run game are going to be good enough to get them six or seven wins and then they're going to play in a bunch of close games and we're going to need to see a, a more uh, a, a high level execution in their passing ability otherwise it just comes down to whether Jaden Daniels can strap it on his back and do what he has done in the past and that's asking a lot of him when you have such high hopes for uh, what's possible this season. And, and one thing, Chris, that you mentioned just about Jaden having shown a tendency to maybe run before he assesses all of his options as a, as a thrower. One thing yesterday, or you know, today's Friday, this is referring to Thursday, uh, LV Bunkley Shelton was available to the media. And one thing I asked him was, what improvements have you seen from Jaden specifically from spring to now or through the fall? And one thing that he actually specifically mentioned was that Jaden, at least recently, has shown tendency to hang around in the pocket longer. And so I think it's important to at least mention that, you know, maybe we haven't seen it so far in camp, but one of his receivers mentioned yesterday, first thing off the bat was, you know, he has shown a tendency to hang in longer and maybe now it is throw first and run later. And he does have the ability to run, obviously, and we've seen that. But now at least it seems like there might be a tendency to throw first. Yeah, and, and the proof is going to be in the pudding, though, right? Because ultimately, 
there's no he's not getting hit in in practices and he's not allowed to be hit in practices right so are you going to be able to sustain that and keep that mentality or that sort of instinct in check when you move into game situations right because um of course zach hill wants that it's really important to them uh trying to develop daniels in the way that is gonna allow for him to be successful um so but that and then just how the receivers come along is the biggest question mark to, I think, this whole team in terms of their whether they're going to be able to achieve to their uh, goals this season. Just one quick interesting note it related to Jaden staying in the pocket. There was a moment a few practices ago where, obviously, as Chris said, you can't hit at this point, and one of the defensive ends was bearing down on him, and he thought it was a sack. I can't remember who it was, but Jaden made a specific point. Travez Moore. It was Travez Moore. Thank you. And Jaden made a specific point of saying, first of all, he disputed that it would have been a sack a little bit, but then he said, that's a spot where in a game I might have to still step up in the pocket and take the hit because the ball that he delivered was the longest completion of practice that we had seen to that point to, I believe, Jordan Porter. So just an interesting note there. Obviously, you can't evaluate what the significance of that is, how that comes into play in a game scenario. But Jaden did make a note of that and does seem to have some awareness of that. Yeah, and there's also in terms of like sitting in the pocket and, and being able to throw, I think we've also seen like when he comes out of the pocket, his eyes are down the field and he's kind of waiting before he just starts running. I think you saw sometimes freshman year, like especially even in that Michigan State game, as soon as he stepped out of the pocket, he was running down the field. So that's something also to look out for with that. But in terms of offense and defense and both te- like both of those parts being good for the team and playing out for good a good season, I should say, in reaching their goals. Uh, there have been multiple developments, related developments to the NCAA review of Arizona State. Uh, that was tight ends coach Adam Brenneman, secondary coach Chris Hawkins, and receivers coach Prentice Gill all being put being put on paid administrative leave and that change in the staff has brought in multiple different coaches and different coaches taking up new positions Donnie Henderson is now coaching the secondary Trey Anderson is coaching the quarterbacks Bobby Wade is coaching the receivers Justin Wood is coaching the tight ends and Zach Hill has been moving in between quarterbacks and receivers so what does that mean for the team and how is that going to progress going forward yeah, so I think defensively, it's not going to be a big issue for them. Donnie Henderson was ASU secondary coach during the 96 Rose Bowl season. He was also an NFL defensive coordinator for Herm Edwards for two seasons, I believe. So his level of understanding and expertise is extremely high. And of course, remember, he's working with a group that's very veteran and they've all started a lot of games. And so it's it's to me, that's not going to be a problem. Offensively, there can potentially be some issues that are here, right? Because you have... Um, Zach Hills now sort of bouncing between positions and trying to, you know, f- get everything that he needs done. Yes, quarterbacks, receivers work a lot together in practices and skill development. So that maybe min- minimizes that to some degree. Your wide receivers probably need about as much coaching right now as any position on the team. And you have in Bobby Wade, somebody who has played at the NFL level, but he's young and he hasn't coached much and definitely not in this sort of a setting and environment. And now you're asking a lot of him, right? Now they were asking a lot of Prentice Gill too, to be sure. 
sure he hadn't done that either. So you're substituting one guy who's sort of inexperienced for another, but that's still something that we got to watch. Justin Wood, uh, he knows Zach Hill at a very high level because they've they've worked together for many years now. They've their relationship goes back even further than that. He has a great understanding of the scheme. He's a high energy guy in practices. Adam Brenneman was a new coach, the guy that he's replacing, right? So you're you're swapping out inexperience for inexperience in a, in a matter of speaking. But I still say that these offensive uh, developments, especially when you then include Trey Anderson talking to Jaden Daniels every day in school development periods and working with him in meetings and all that stuff, that does become something that we have to keep an eye on moving forward. And the players are probably upset and distracted. There was a Jack Jones tweet that he then deleted about trying to get uh, Michael Crow, ASU's president, to reinstate the, those two coaches, Hawkins and Gill. That's not going to be happening uh, during the season, but it's a sentiment that we can understand when these players have spent all this time working toward this and they want to work with the coaches who help get them to this point uh and they have uh, a lot of they like the, the guys that they play for basically so uh, but that's the reality it is is it going to be a distraction to some degree of course it is i think it's going to impact them much more in recruiting but that's a subject for another podcast and another day and we're just going to keep tracking how these these uh positions move forward yeah, and we'll, we'll keep track of that NCAA review. Make sure to stay tuned into Sun Devil Source for any other information regarding that NCAA review. But for right now, we're going on to Hot 11. So this is us looking at players that have looked the most impressive compared to what we expected of them coming into camp. So this should be fun to see who has really stepped up during this time. So Jacob, who do you have as a member of Hot 11? Uh, for me, it would be Michael Matus. I, I think that last year... He showed a lot of improvement, and then I think, again, we've seen it. Chris mentioned it at the top of the podcast. Just from a technical standpoint, a lot of growth from him, and obviously that has a lot to do with how much uh, Robert Rodriguez has put an emphasis on just the, the usage of technique to generate power and to be an effective pass rusher, and Michael Matus has taken a lot of that and, and used it effectively. Uh, so for me, it's, it's him, and he's demonstrated a lot, of, uh, a lot of capability and skill that I don't think we saw from him a year ago, and, and that's why he's on there for me. Yeah, we talked about him earlier in the podcast. I'll throw Omar Norman Lott on there. Just given the rankings he had coming in, um, you know, Chris even thought he was underrated as a prospect coming in. We're actually able to see it this year just because he had nagging injuries last season, and I think he was banged up in the spring too. So we're starting to see what he's fully capable of. And again, those one-on reps that he's had have been very impressive. So I'm going to throw him on there for us. I may have jumped the gun with this one a little bit by mentioning him a couple times earlier in the podcast, but for me, it definitely is Trevez Moore, just given that even coming from an SEC school and having the experience that he does, again, being a senior transfer, this was a guy who couldn't really get on the field previously, and now I think that, or in his previous location, that is, and I think that you just see his dynamism. He really is one of the most explosive players out there, and that guy just has a knack for getting to the quarterback. I will say Omar has been really impressive as well, but was also a highly touted guy. And Trevez impressed in the spring game, but has just continued to build on that. So we're not going to reveal the whole Hot 11 now. That's why you got to become a member of the site and get the all the write-up on all, all these guys. Uh, the, I will say a couple more other names that have really impressed, and I agree with what you guys have thrown out there so far. Um, but we've seen Henry Haddis look like a totally different guy this year versus last year in games. I talked to him after practice the other night. He mentioned that he was nowhere near fully rehabbed from the broken leg that he had suffered the previous winter at Stanford. And I think that, for my money, he's been the most 
most consistent offensive lineman in practice actually through the first two weeks. So he has to be there. And there's a freshman who's a walk-on, who's a three-star recruit out of a high school in Georgia named B.J. Green, who has blown my mind, actually. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, I have never seen an often a defensive uh, lineman come in as a walk-on in camp and look as good as he d- does. Like He easily looks like somebody who could have been ranked in the middle to the top end of ASU's recruiting class. Uh, I think that everybody missed the boat in the South who didn't recruit him um, at the lower end of the ACC level, maybe even some borderline SEC types of schools in that region. I think that he's going to end up being a extremely impressive uh, player. Um, Omar Norman Lott has been really tremendous and definitely would be there also for me, I, I would reiterate. Another guy that we probably should highlight is Jordan Banks. Uh, I thought that he did not do well really in the spring. And even coaches were saying that they, they, they wanted a little bit more from him. And I think that he's been out there on pass rush opportunities. He's been getting into the backfield. I think he's done a really good job. And his fellow freshman uh, linebacker, Will Schaefer, has also done better than he did in the spring. So a couple of younger linebackers that I'm seeing some clear signs of development uh, as well. Before we move on from this section, I, as you've been following this podcast for long enough, you'll know that I am the, uh, the resident special teams guy here. And I just want to throw one more freshman on there, and that's Eddie Zaplicki, and I mean that seriously. He's been super impressive. He has. At, since Michael Turk you know, announced that he was transferring, Zaplicki has stepped up into that first-team punter role. And we've actually seen a lot of impressive work from him. You know, uh, Good hang times, and you can check those out on the site. They're listed in the practice report. Uh, but most impressive, I think, has been the directional punting from him. Uh, spot on. I mean, he's been hitting his spots. He's making it difficult for returners. Several fair catches during observation periods due to you know the combination of directional punting and hang time. And so that's a guy I would definitely add to the uh, the hot eleven. Yeah, I think that's smart. We we didn't even talk on the podcast about Turk's decision to transfer. Um, for those who maybe didn't see that in our reporting or on social media. Uh, ASU is requiring all of its players to be vaccinated in order to travel to road games this year and, or take part in team meetings in person. And Turk made a personal decision. He didn't want to get vaccinated. And ASU was was willing to basically split who played at that position, uh, playing Turk for home games and Zaplicki or somebody else for road games. And Turk, he didn't want to do that either. And so ultimately decided to transfer. I agree that Zaplicki has been actually excellent. Uh, Sean Slocum, ASU special teams coach, already made it clear to us and, and we've reported that uh, Zaplicki is going to be the starter and Logan Tyler is going to handle field goal kicking um, even though he, Tyler's been quite accurate like maybe 85% of his kicks or 90% of his kicks have been good um, there have been some that have been kind of low and not pretty and there's some issues that uh, there with like making perfect contact on the ball to, to kind of get the ball up at the line of scrimmage so that's something that we're going to be watching as well um, the practices for the first, like the first seven practices were open entirely to the media. The last couple have been really kind of restricted. Um, but I think we have a pretty good sense from an evaluation standpoint of where these players are at. And we're going to be covering as much as we can and are allowed to observe in the remaining practices between now and our next podcast. And we're looking forward to, to, to that when the time comes. Yeah, and, and as Chris said earlier, that was only part of the Hot 11, so make sure to tune into the full Hot 11 on the Sun Devil Source site in the next few days. We'll get that one up. Uh, this was also 
uh, podcast that will be following. Uh, we'll follow this podcast with the season preview podcast about a week before ASU's season opener on Thursday, September 2nd against Southern Utah. So that was it for this Sun Devil Source Report podcast for reporters Jacob Rudner, Carson Breber, and Trevor Bruth. And of course, the site publisher Chris Cartman. I'm Ethan Ryder. We'll see you guys next time.